reading is from Proverbs 14, 15, and 29, and Ephesians 4. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. That's the word of God. Yes, thank you. Y'all have a seat and pray with me one more time. Father, as we uh, approach your word, we, um, at least with as much ability as we we have, uh, we submit to it. We submit to your presence here, uh, as Drew called us to remember. Um, And we submit to the fact that it it is in your word that we find your presence. And it's in your word that we find your wisdom. Uh, And it's also in your word that we find your love. So come, Holy Spirit, and uh, unlock uh, what it is that you have for our hearts this morning. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right. So we are in the wisdom literature of the Bible. We're taking uh, some time this summer to go through books like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, a little bit of Job, uh, and dipping into the New Testament at times. Because one of the things that we're after here at Midtown Fellowship, one of the things that we're after as followers of Jesus is maturity. We're after maturing and constantly growing and developing in our faith such that in a week, in a year, we're not exactly the same people as we are now. And one of the areas that's very important that the Bible speaks a lot to, even though we don't talk about it very often, is the area of emotional maturity. And so we've looked at things so far this series like fear. Dave took us through, how should I look at this this emotion of fear? And what does it mean that the Bible says we are to fear the Lord? Well, similar to that, we're in another uh, area of Proverbs looking at another emotional topic, um, but this time it's anger. And I want to just ask you, because I want to say a couple things about emotions in general uh, and about this idea of emotional maturity in general uh, before we get into it. And the first is when when I say, let's just kind of start off basic reaction. When I say the word emotion, what comes to mind? And you can literally tell me, like, what word comes to mind when I say the word emotion? Feel? Fear, happy, Happy. sad, intense, Intense. unpredictable, irrational, yes, good, ever-changing, so difficult to control. So we believe uh, that we are emotional beings. That's just kind of a baseline assumption that the Bible teaches that, that we all have as well. But I want to ask us, like, <laughs> there's so much. I, I talked about a few weeks ago kind of how when we're, we're looking at certain topics in Scripture, it can kind of feel like a Jackson Pollock painting, right? And kind of paint, paint's getting splattered here and there. But what's important is to keep a base coat underneath all that. And so the, the base coat that we're dealing with as we look at this uh, topic of anger and the topic of emotions and emotional maturity I want to I look at what, what is just the basic definition of emotions. So emotions are internal and instinctual responses, right? They're, they're internal and instinctual things that come out of us as we experience things in the world. They're how we feel about our experience of life. So as we interact with people, as we interact with 
situations and, and conflicts or good or bad things, our bodies and our minds and our hearts, our whole beings created by God react emotionally. So emotions themselves aren't necessarily reality, but they do give us a very real experience of our reality. And so when we, when we talk about it like that, we should maybe feel a little bit of friction because oftentimes if I were to give you, and even the way that you guys responded when I said, what, it, what are our emotions? We love to categorize them as either good or bad, right? Like if I, if I said, give me a whole list of emotions, you would start naming them. And in your brain, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's a bad one. That's a good one. That's a bad one. And that's a good one, right? We do this. We just kind of naturally assume they're good or bad. And a lot of that is because our typical experience of emotion and the way we think about our own emotions and emotions in general is, is oftentimes very different than the way that the Bible talks about it. Once you think about it like this, many of us have come through life treating emotions like plants. So there are weedy emotions. There are emotions that it is my job to weed out of my life. Like I shouldn't be afraid. I shouldn't be angry. I shouldn't really be sad. And then we have emotions that we're taught you to, you're to cultivate, right? Like I should cultivate joy. I should cultivate happiness. I should cultivate contentment. And so I can walk through life and I can have an experience of emotions and I can have a certain amount of emotional maturity that tells me it's my job to squash or to uproot all the bad emotions and to cultivate all the good ones. And I think the way the Bible talks about emotion and what we're going to talk about, uh, the importance of emotions in our life, that kind of approach can be really dangerous and it can really stunt us in our growth as Christ followers. Because emotions are treated as our basic created makeup. We get our emotions through our image bearerness of God. We even look at uh, back in the Bible before the fall, Adam was expressing emotions. When he was given his partner, Eve, he exclaims, remember the, the kind of the famous phrase, he goes, surely this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He's, he's expressing excitement. He's expressing joy. That was created in him by God. And so emotions are the way that we've been created to interact and experience ourselves, other people in the world. Jesus himself had a rich emotional life. Okay, we call him the man of sorrows. He had a full, rich, full-formed emotional life and experience of emotions, even including the ones that we would put in the bad category, like anger. And yet he was perfectly emotionally healthy. And so my question for you and my question that I think that the book of Proverbs brings up in this context is, are we emotionally healthy? Because what our emotions are for, we said what they are, what our emotions are for is a full experience of life, a full, rich experience of the life that God has given us and the people he has made us to be. And so if I am, am weak or if I am pushing down or squashing down or ignoring or feeling guilt and shame about certain areas of my emotional life, then I am not fully living as a human being. Likewise, if I'm overexpressing my emotions, if my emotions have broken the banks and are running wild, then I'm also not fully experiencing the healthy life that God has given me. And so my question and the question that, that this topic of anger brings up is, do we have wisdom about our emotions and specifically our emotion of anger? And before I jump into anger, I want to give us a couple categories that I think are really important. We talk about this fairly often, so this shouldn't be super new, but it's the categories of the flesh and the spirit in our lives. That, that the, the Bible talks about your spiritual life. It, it gives it a spiritual biology, 
It gives you a way that you live spiritually in the world, and it's with this war inside of you between two opposite and opposing forces, which are the flesh and the spirit. Paul talks about it in the book of Galatians. He famously talks about it in Romans 7 when he says, I feel like there's a war within me. I I know the things I want to do, and I can't do them. And I know the things I don't want to do, and they seem to be the things that I always do. That's the flesh. But at the same time as those who have been awakened by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us also. And so we not only have this kingdom of the flesh, which is ruled by the kingdom of the self, which is where we get all of our selfishness and our selfish tendencies, we also have the kingdom of the Spirit. And we can be and are people that are ruled by the Spirit. So when we think about the flesh and the Spirit, when it comes to emotions, this is a very important category to talk about emotions because the other word that Proverbs would add to those two lists is wisdom and folly. That folly is a place of the flesh. When I'm living in folly emotionally, when I'm expressing my emotions out of a place of unwisdom or folly, then I'm living according to the flesh. And when I gain wisdom, when I have the spirit, then I can wisely walk through this life emotionally, expressing fully all that God has made me to be. So we're going to dig in and talk a little bit about anger because that's the particular emotion that we find throughout the book of Proverbs. I think there's about 15 or 17 different Proverbs that specifically talk about anger. So y'all know I was born and raised in LA. That's lower Alabama. And one of my favorite things about Southern heritage are the great Southern idioms that we have. Things like, bless his heart. Okay, I had to explain that to uh, my kid the other day. I don't know what I said. But I had this friend, Kenny, who lived down the street. And one of the things, it's funny that I remember this, but I think we were doing something stupid. I think we were throwing rocks at a wasp nest. And he said something that when I was writing this sermon, it popped into my head. And he goes, he goes, he goes, oh man, they're getting good and angry now. And that thought of good and angry came back up. Because one of the things that I think Proverbs gives us, and I think the whole Bible gives us, and I think it's vitally important in this journey toward emotional maturity is what does it look like to harness and express my anger in a godly way, in a righteous way? And so the question that comes before that is, is it even possible to be good and angry? Is that a thing? Can I be good and angry at the same time? And we're probably going, well, yeah, I think there's, there's, I can imagine that there's a way to do that, but we have no way to even understand what that would look like. And so that's one of the things that I want to look at this morning is what does it look like to be good and angry? So number one, we're going to talk about what is good anger? Then we're going to look at what is bad anger, and then what would it look like to be good and angry? So good anger, okay, we call this righteous anger. Right away in Ephesians 4, one of the, I think it was the last passage that we heard read, it says, in your anger, do not sin. So basic logic will tell us that there is a way to be angry and not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. There's a way that I can express my anger out of the kingdom of God and out of the spirit, not out of the place of the flesh. I can express my anger in a way that doesn't give the devil a foothold in my life. Well, what would that look like? I want to talk about the Trader Joe's parking lot for a second. You know when uh, an illustration hits when I don't even need to say any more. <laughs> Okay, it's, it's in the Trader Joe's parking lot, in all seriousness, that I know one thing is very true about me, and it's that I have a very well-formed, mature sense of justice, right? We all, we go into the Trader Joe's parking lot, and we immediately 
our judge and jury and prosecutor and evidence gatherer for our lives when people cut us off and take that one parking spot that wasn't going to make me walk half a mile across Hillsborough Pike. When I'm in the Trader Joe's parking lot, I understand that there is a way life is supposed to work. And when that way, at least according to my vision of it, doesn't happen, I react. And what I want to tell you this morning is that although, of course, that's hilarious and broken in many ways, there is a piece of you that expresses that need and desire for justice that is part of your being made in the image of God. That a a well-formed sense of justice, that innate sense of right and wrong that makes me react when it's threatened or when it's broken, that is part of how I was created as an image bearer of God. And what sin does is sin comes in and it perverts justice. That is what sin does across the board. It perverts justice. It perverts what's right. It is a perversion of what is good. Sin has never created anything new. Never. It takes what is right and it turns it wrong. It takes what is good and it makes it bad. It takes, for example, what should be my posture of self-sacrificing love to everybody and it twists it and makes it self-serving love. It turns the deep love and deep sense of justice that I was created with into a demand for love and justice from you and an anger that's expressed at you when you get in the way of my idea of that. And so a world full of sin absolutely should make you angry. So anger that is right or anger that is good is wielded by the Spirit Okay, within, within this kingdom of God, the spirit-filled life that I have in me, anger is wielded by the spirit to love, to serve, and to protect me and others around me. And so I want you to consider that anger is a muscle, and anger is the muscle behind love. There's nothing worse than a love that's impotent, right? There's nothing worse than a love that can't protect or can't do the thing that it loves, and so I want you to consider that anger used rightly, and we'll, we'll talk more about this, but it is a, it's the muscle that should propel your love. One of my favorite authors uh, uses the term for this world we live in as busted Eden. He says, you and I live in busted Eden. We live in the garden of Eden. We live in the perfect world God created, and yet it's not perfect. It's busted. And so anger absolutely is an appropriate emotion for people living in a busted Eden. It should be the response of every Christian to the brokenness and injustice of the world. A Christian author named Paul Tripp says, in a world that has been terribly broken by sin, where nothing operates as was intended and where evil often has more immediate influence than good, it would be wrong not to be angry. In a fallen world, anger is a good thing. In a fallen world, anger is a constructive thing. It is an essential thing. That is, if the anger is about something bigger than you. And that right there is the problem. Because the same sin that should make me angry has also twisted and given me the flesh in me that wants to take my anger and wield it for my good, not for yours. And so the flesh comes in and and like the battleship of my life that has a lot of power, it can yank the wheel and turn this thing directing toward myself and directed against anything that stands in my way. The muscle that should fight for what I love now gets turned to fight against 
the people that stand in my way, the people that I feel like get in the way of the kingdom that I create for myself. So bad anger, bad anger is anger not out of the spirit, but out of the flesh. And it's wielding my anger as a weapon for control and a weapon to get what I want. It's wielded by my flesh to love, serve, and protect me. Because what the flesh does is the flesh puts me on the throne of my life. There's only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God or there's the kingdom of myself. And so what the flesh is always doing is it's saying, take, take that next step. Take one more step up to that throne. Ascend the throne of your life every single day and every single action and every single moment and every single relationship, become the king. And we all know that there's nothing or there's no one more impatient than kings to get their way, right? And so that's why in our Proverbs, we get this picture in, in unrighteous anger and bad anger, we get this picture of time. So go back to these Proverbs with me, or you can listen to them because you're probably not gonna be flipping uh, all of your Bible. Proverbs 14 says, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. And then 15, 18, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. It's interesting, isn't it, that in the, this discussion of what is healthy anger or unhealthy anger, the topic and concept of time comes up. What does time have to do with this? Well, because when I'm living as king of my little kingdom, uh, there's an author that said, we're all kings of our tiny skull-sized little kingdoms. When I'm living as king of my tiny skull-sized little kingdom, of course, all my actions, all my actions are really gonna be reactions. They're gonna be quick. My anger is gonna blow up when something gets in my way, when my control is threatened. Because remember, that's what kings do. They're impatient and they want control. They wanna keep control. So this kind of anger makes me single-minded toward myself and my desires and what I need. So let me ask you a couple questions. Uh, does anything ever come in and alter or disrupt your routine? Does anything ever get in the way of your agenda for your morning or your afternoon or your evening or your night? Do you ever experience things and you call it impatience or irritation or frustration? Because when my anger comes up and I know it's being ruled by the kingdom of the flesh, it's always when things threaten my control and things get in the way of what I wanted to happen in my life. The other weekend, just this past weekend, uh, we were in Chicago visiting my in-laws should be another illustration that as soon as I say that, you have an idea of where I'm going because when you go out of town, you immediately leave your kingdom, don't you? And when you go to your in-laws, you're entering another kingdom, aren't you? And so when I go out of town and I bring my kids with me, I am in an environment where my control is constantly being tested, right? That, that my desires are constantly being attacked because things are not going my way. I'm not within the little kingdom that I've been, built where I get to have my things and do things how I want them. And so I spent, I told my wife this on the way home, I spent, I feel like that entire time with just this kind of low level of bubbling anger. And my only encouragement is that maybe this time is the first time I've been able to recognize that more clearly, which is kind of what we're talking about. 
Because oftentimes this anger, it's not just these eruptions. Those, those eruptions are just the symptoms. They're the, the external uh, uh, processing or external reactions to this, this kind of lava field underneath the surface that's bubbling. And so in my anger, I respond when I lose control, when things don't happen, uh, when what I want doesn't happen, when, when how I want it to happen doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen in the time that I want. And so then the second step after this, after, after my control comes in and, and I react against something and it's not the way I wanted it to be, what I then do is I then be able, or I begin to objectify and I begin to judge the objects of my anger. And this is where it gets really deadly because now the person in that Trader Joe's parking lot, they're just not some other human being who's also trying to get groceries and get home to their family, right? No, they become someone whose literal job it is to come and take parking spots from other people. We laugh. But I look at that object of my anger, the thing that's gotten in the way, and what I do is I objectify it and I judge it. My kids, my, my, my three-year-old or my four-year-old or my five-year-old or whatever age kid you have, they don't just become these children that are trying to learn their boundaries and learn their limits in the world. No, they're bad, right? They're doing things the way they're doing things to spite you because they know that that's not how you want things done. That's what I can believe. And so then what I do is I then begin to judge and objectify myself because now I'm the one who raised them that way. So this gets really twisted and really deep really fast. Because when I live out of this place of anger, I begin to justify and so I objectify and I judge. And I don't show anything that those Proverbs we just read are showing. I'm not patient Whoever is patient has great understanding. I don't have understanding. I don't care about understanding. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. What's behind patience is humility. And that's not the state I'm in. When I'm letting the flesh rule and reign in my life and I'm expressing myself out of anger, I'm not slow. I'm not careful. I'm quick to judge. So if that is good anger, and then that's bad anger, if there's a righteous way to be angry, if there's a good way to be angry, if there's a way to use that muscle for love to fight for what you love, and there's also a way to use that muscle of love because all you love is yourself, then the question is, how do I become good and angry? And what I'm going to tell you this morning is the key to good and angry is understanding the anger of God. Because every emotion that we carry is a mark of our creator. To be made in the image of God and to be given the anger of emotion is to say that our Lord, our God, has that same emotion. And we know this is true. In fact, it's some of the parts of the Bible that we feel the most uncomfortable with, the anger of God. But would you believe that if our love and our kindness and our mercy and our compassion are all marks of our creator, so too is the emotion of anger. And what if the reason that we find it so hard to accept the anger of God is because we can't get out from under all the ways that we misuse anger for ourselves? That we can't believe that our Lord was perfectly emotionally healthy. And so when he expressed anger, he was expressing anger as a muscle of his love to defend and fight for what he loves and to fight against the brokenness of the world that we live in. So I want to read one passage of scripture to you that I think very clearly displays this. So this is Isaiah 59. 
Now Isaiah starts out and he says, so justice is driven back and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. He's describing a society and a culture and a people that have completely given themselves over. Things are completely broken. There is no justice. There is no truth. And look what Isaiah says. He says, the Lord looked and was displeased. He wasn't indifferent. He was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one and he was angry that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so will he repay. Wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. Do you see the muscle of the anger of God expressed against sin and toward what he loves? So God's anger on the one hand is an anger out of justice. You see that, the rectifying of the wrong, the being the one, because no man, no woman can be the one to perfectly create justice, to perfectly create righteousness. He saw that no one was available, and so he put those things on. He armed himself for war, to fight for what was right, to fight the injustice, to fight the brokenness of sin, to fight for what he loves. And so his anger was rectifying and restorative. His anger was rectifying, was righting what was wrong and was restoring what he wanted, was restoring the perfect Eden that we say we live in the busted version of. And I want you to see that it was on the cross that the cross of Jesus was the most ultimate expression of this rectifying and restorative anger. Yes, we know that the cross was an was a, um, expression of love, but would you also believe that it was equally an expression of anger? That it was the anger that filled the Lord to go to the cross for you, to rectify and restore your life, your emotional life, the way you interact relationally with other people, and first and foremost, your relationship with him. And so God's anger displayed on the cross assures us that all things are gonna be made new. And so then our calling to anger as people, as individuals, as a community, our calling to be good and angry comes out of our deep belief and faith that the spirit of the Lord lives in us. And so we have that same sense of something needs to be right. Something, some, some wrongs need to be righted. This, this thing that's happening is not good. And what we then have the ability to do because of the spirit in us is we have the ability to not run and hide from our anger but to say, Lord Jesus, what does it look like for me to express my anger out of the spirit of God in me? What does it look like for me as an individual to express my anger, to hold my anger, to not run from it, not push it down, but look at it and say, what is this about? Is this, is this just an anger at someone or something that's, that's pushing up against my control, that's getting in the way of what, what I want? Or is this a picture and a piece of the brokenness of sin in this world? And is it something that I'm called to step into? And so as a community, what would it look like if we all got good and angry together? What power could we harness for the sake of the kingdom of God if we were a community that was pursuing emotional health? If we were a community that wanted to understand what, what, 
what is the way my flesh takes my anger? What is the way that it gets in the way and it, it uses my anger as a muscle against other people? And what is the way that I'm called to use my anger righteously? And so what if we got angry at the sin and the brokenness in our neighborhoods? What if we got angry at the sin and the brokenness for the people that do not know the Lord around us? What if we looked down the street and we, did, we didn't just ignore the broken marriage that was happening that is an expression of the brokenness of this world? That we didn't ignore the, the abuse, the maybe emotional and verbal abuse that's happening in our neighborhood? What if we said, no, this is something that as a believer, as a follower of Christ with a community of people, I am called to be angry about. And it would be wrong if I wasn't angry. What would it look like if we got angry at the sin and brokenness here in our own community? That we weren't just worried so much about keeping on good terms with each other. We weren't uh, just so worried that, oh, you know, I might not see this person for another week, so let's just kind of keep everything cool. What if, what if we actually said, no, we're committing to stepping into each other's lives, to recognizing that there's brokenness that the Lord is calling us to care about? And then most importantly, because it really has to start here, what if we got angry at the sin and brokenness within ourselves? And what if we did uh, a lot of business with the fact that I so often react emotionally out of anger when you get in my way, when you press up against my control, when you don't do things the way I want you to do things? And so would I allow the Lord to do business with my own anger first? Would I not run from it, not hide from it? Would I recognize that, Lord, this is something I want to give to you, and I want to ask you to redeem this, ask you to mature this in my life? so that I can then be someone who steps more so into the righteous anger that you have put in me because I'm made in your image. So can you imagine the impact that a community of people living like that could have? Can you imagine the impact that a community just like this particular community in Creve Hall could have if we became people who saw it as part of our journey and maturity in Christ to step into our emotional maturity? to ask each other, to ask our spouses, ask our friends, where do you see me getting angry? Why do you think I'm doing that? To go on a journey of understanding our emotions, especially this one of anger. Because what we're after is being a people that can harness the anger God has put in us, just like he does for rectifying and for restoring. So Christ's death on the cross um, one of the ways we know that it had anger behind it is because he wasn't indifferent toward us. And you can't be angry and indifferent. Just like you can't love and be indifferent, you can't be angry and indifferent. And so as we continue to sing and worship, uh, as you ponder the death of Christ on your behalf, as you ponder the fact that that was as much an action out of anger as it was of love, that it was the thing that was giving power to his love, um, would you ask yourself to make, uh, would you ask him to make yourself more and more like that? Let me pray. Lord, um, thank you for your word. Thank you that it doesn't, uh, it doesn't hide from some of these topics. Uh, I know that um, the, the, the rocks have been un, unturned or overturned uh, in my life this week. And uh, when we see all the, all the gross, wriggly things underneath those rocks, um, would we not run from them? Would we be willing to step into something like my anger, like our anger, and ask you to come and redeem it? Uh, believing that you have something you want to show us about that. So we love you, Lord. Uh, we pray these things in your name. Amen.